time for Healthy Talk Radio. By the powers vested in me, by the Federal Communications Commission. Coming to you live from the headquarters of the Global Health Network and across the world wide web. <gasps> Computers can do that? It's America's longest running radio program dedicated to your health and wellness. What's taking place here is an alternative approach. Now, the woman who's changing the face of health care each and every day. That's the fact, Jack! Here's Deborah Ray. Good day. Welcome to Healthy Talk Radio. I'm Deborah Ray. Well, you wonder where people have the time for this. A study published out this week, neck, back pain, depression, the two biggest problems that U.S. adults uh, who suffer from illness, and a lot of us do, are unable to carry out our usual activities 32 days a year. Who has the time to be sick 32 days a year? That's amazing. Today, Taylor Grant joins us today. She's the author of an intriguing book, a book about eight steps, eight prescriptions that she feels can save your life. The book is entitled Health Matters. Taylor Grant, who has been laying out health programs, joins us today. We'll open up the phone lines for your health questions about the steps that can save your life and your family's health. Those eight important prescriptions that comprise health matters with Taylor Grant joining us today at 1-800-307-3002 right here on Healthy Talk Radio. Now, the news and views about the news you won't hear anywhere else. The Healthy Talk Radio News Digest. We always do get to healthcare news and views from credible sources that you won't hear anywhere else. This is intriguing. Uh, Mayo Clinic, Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, one of those researchers there, in fact, a team of them, published some research that appears in the current uh, medical journal, Chest. What they took a look at is people with thyroid disorders. And we uh, have been talking recently that there's 27 million Americans that have poor functioning thyroid, that the endocrinologists, that the hormone doctors think that there's another 12 million undiagnosed Americans with thyroid disorder. And this study links the prevalence of thyroid disorders with people who have pulmonary chest hypertension. Pulmonary hypertension is not to be taken lightly. Uh, they found that there is an excess prevalence of thyroid disorders in people with pulmonary hypertension. We know that thyroid literally is part of every tissue in the body. So what is it about uh, thyroid in our heart health, thyroid in our blood pressure, and in this case, thyroid disorders, thyroid disease, uh, seen uh, most frequently in people with pulmonary high blood pressure, pulmonary hypertension. Interesting indeed. Well, it's out today. The Office of Dietary Supplements at the National Institute of Health have published the 2006 Annual Bibliography of Significant Advances in Dietary Supplement Research. They are highlighting 25 of the most significant dietary supplement research advances of the past year. Uh, we'll post the link at our website at healthytalkradio.com. But this annual bibliography is intriguing. They've uh, found that of that top 25 list, 
of dietary supplement research of last year, black cohosh, uh, its effects in improving bone uh, density, bone remodeling, uh, ginkgo and omega-3 fatty acids in, in our brain health, cognitive health, uh, slowing the progression of Alzheimer's disease using ginkgo and uh, the omega-3 fatty acids, resveratrol, that unique compound that we find in great uh, prevalence in certain red wines, uh, a natural anti-inflammatory and anti Antioxidant compound in their list of top 25 and vitamin D. So there's much more. They selected from 300 uh, papers that appeared in 45 peer review scientific journals, um, finding that there are 25 significant dietary supplement researches advances of uh, last year. Interestingly, they found that 50% of the papers submitted were funded by the National Institute of Health, which tells me, you know, if you can't make money from it, there's not a lot of funding out there for that uh, clinical research behind dietary supplements. Well, this is intriguing from any number of standpoints. One, Swedish researchers are warning with the cold and flu season upon us that um, we should not over-prescribe the main weapon against flu and bird flu, Tamiflu. What they find is that sewage systems do not break down the main weapon against bird flu, Tamiflu, which means that Tamiflu can sleep, uh, can seep into the natural water systems and make certain viruses resistant to the drug that just like antibiotic resistance, antiviral resistance is all too real and that antiviral medications such as Tamiflu, quote, must be used with care and only when the medical situation justifies it. And, of course, with the revelation that certain Korean uh, culture foods like kimchi can be as effective as the, the medications for the bird flu, you know, shouldn't we use these medications as a last resort? With researchers now warning about over-prescribing Tamiflu, it can seep into the water supply system. Um, our, our current sewage treatment does not break it down. A uh, lot of not only antibiotic resistance to go around these days, antiviral resistance as well. Was executives attending a meeting of the medical device industries trade group this week? The trade group is called Advamed, and they're on the defensive trying to prove that their pricey technology are worth it. As many more people say, <laughs> health insurance is just too expensive these days. Uh, that we hear medical technology being cast as the villain in the debate over health care costs. And, of course, um, things like the implantable defibrillator. Research out today that shows that men much more likely to get them than women, but other recent research uh, indicating that when it comes to these implantable defibrillators, um, that all too often um, they do not significantly lengthen a patient's life or quality of life. In fact, uh, they're finding that for many, the risk outweigh the benefit. So just like prescriptions, we push prescriptions and push procedures in this country. If it involves medical devices, need to ask some important questions about what are the benefits versus what are the risks to make an informed medical decision.
Speaking of which, ooh, bad news, good news. The rapid rise in preventable chronic diseases, of course they consume 78% of our nation's healthcare dollars now, uh, hurting U.S. economic productivity. What we're now finding though, thanks to the Santa Monica-based Milken Institute, that healthy living could save this country one trillion with a T dollars. That if we take a look at diabetes, cancer, heart disease, high blood pressure, stroke, mental disorders, pulmonary conditions, and take a look at the anticipated treatment costs associated with these seven diseases, that's $1.1 trillion. All of these are preventable by healthy living. Healthy living. Making wise dietary choices, supplementing wisely, Activity each and every day makes a difference. And then those emotional and spiritual health factors make a difference as well. That we are so focused on early detection, never true prevention. Isn't that amazing? $1.1 trillion we could save each and every year. Well, I found this at the Environmental News Network. Um, Healthy Child, which is our country's leading nonprofit devoted to children's environmental health, um, had the mission to take a look at common items that patients, that parents have in homes and compared the prices of the conventional versus the green option and found that with new research linking chemicals in plastics, cosmetics, and pesticides with health risk in our children, that, for example, plastic baby bottles, multipurpose cleaners, laundry soaps, plastic disposable diapers, antibacterial baby wipes, milk, it is no more expensive to go green. In fact, they find that in more than one case, the green products were less expensive. Want to read more about the new research that it's healthy and cost-effective to go green from the children's uh, nonprofit Healthy Child Center. We'll post all that at our website, HealthyTalkRadio.com. We're going to return to talk with a noted uh, educator, author Taylor Grant, joining us today. The book Health Matters. She'll educate us about eight steps. She calls them prescriptions that can save your life and your family's health. We invite you to join us. Your health care questions for Taylor Grant, who joins us today at 1-800-307-3002. That's 1-800-307-3002. And a reminder, you can always join us online, HealthyTalkRadio.com. Taylor Grant joining us today right here on Healthy Talk Radio. Healthy Talk Radio, where we're changing healthcare one idea at a time. She runs Taylor Your Health, a healthcare advocacy company uh, that has self-published a number of books, including Health Organizers, uh, that brings her to us today to talk about an important book. And with the Milken Institute, as we spoke earlier, coming out with the amazing information this week that given seven conditions in this country that respond to healthy lifestyle, we could save $1.1 trillion in this country. What is Health Matters all about? What are those eight steps that can save your life and your family's health that brings the author Taylor Grant to us today? Taylor, hello and welcome. Hi, Deborah. Thanks for having me. 
Well, the book talks uh, not only about the, these eight steps, uh, but about your life-changing situation, um, uh, that incident in college that forever caused you to, to take a different look uh, in terms of uh, your own life, but also spoke of, of your family and your interest in health and medicine. Uh, give us an overview, uh, uh, Taylor, of what brings you to us today. What, what led you to publish Health Matters? Well, yeah, Deborah, you know, I grew up in a, in a health family. I wouldn't say health conscious necessarily, but, you know, my brother and sister are both surgeons, and, you know, my parents were the children of immigrants. So being a doctor, being in the medical profession was just held in very high esteem and, and still is, you know, and so I was always interested in health, but I didn't, I didn't, whenever I went to the hospital with my brother and sister, I didn't get into the technology like they did. I got more on the patient side. I wanted to hear their stories and I wanted to talk to them about how they were grappling with these things and what had brought them to this situation. I was always just really fascinated with the patients. And then when I went to college, I had a friend who was 20 years old and, you know, very vibrant and healthy. And, you know, when you're 20, you can conquer the world and nothing gets you down. And he had these sort of persistent headaches that, you know, he got teased about. And, and it's funny because I think of my family background, I was always the one saying, you know, go to the doctor, Darren, you know, go find out if there's something wrong. And he eventually did. And um, the doctor did what most people do to 20-year-olds and said, hey, you're healthy, you're strapping, I don't see anything here, you're fine. And um, tragically, about three weeks later, I got a phone call from a friend of mine saying that, that Darren that morning had collapsed in the shower they had taken him to the hospital, and he had died. He had a brain tumor wow. that had been there for, you know, obviously a long time. And, you know, of course, trying to cope with the the grief and dealing with the loss of someone that young, one of the things that really, really stuck with me, and I think he's sort of my guardian angel, I think, that has followed me around, is that he did really what he was supposed to do. He went, he tried to find out if something was wrong, and... Our healthcare system, unfortunately, I mean, I don't blame the individual doctor because it's not necessarily his fault, but the healthcare system really failed him and his family, and he didn't get any kind of care to if there was treatment for this condition. So I just didn't want to see it happen to anybody else because you can read about statistics and they're, they're big numbers, but when it happens to you on a personal level, it's just one too many people in my mind. So, so given that culture, that there's a lot of information out there these days and a lot of sobering information in terms of obesity rates and diabetes and heart disease and how cancer may affect, you know, one in two men, one in three women in their, in their lifetime, uh, you know, how do we get on top and, and put in perspective, uh, in a disease care model in this country, which tends to follow the symptoms, really doesn't focus on, on wellness, uh, Taylor? Absolutely. You know, someone, it's interesting, just said to me this week, you know, that um, the thing about your book is that it always takes a positive slant. And they said, how do you keep that up? You know, how do you stay positive all the time? And I said, it's not that I myself haven't had health struggles or don't recognize those struggles people have, but when you ask why did I write the book, I think one of the reasons I did is because so much is sobering and is negative and does sort of put you in a mind frame of, is this so big a problem that I'm not going to be able to overcome it? I mean, when you get a diagnosis of cancer, many, many people just get overwhelmed with that. And the people I talk to that I talk about in my book and I talk to on a daily basis, the thing that carries them through is that overcoming that negativity, overcoming all of that negative information and finding the positivity in it. And not just 
this is more than just the power of positive thinking, Deborah. This is the statistics show that when you have that positive attitude towards your health, you seek out better care, that you interact better with your doctors, that you travel further to get your care. So it's that that positiveness takes, you know, takes the form of positive action about your health, and that's what I'm trying to get people to is not getting overwhelmed by it. We all need to lose weight. We all want to be healthier. There's all things we could do better. But starting today, that we're going to look at it, and as you said, those seven conditions that we could save not only billions, but more importantly, you know, millions of lives, that we need to get down to the prevention and being he- as healthy as we can be every single day. So knowing that we we you know want to have have a good team, we want to have somebody that we can access. If we do have, for example, a nagging headache, you know, h- how do we find a, a great doctor? As you talk about in Health Matters, Taylor. Well, you know, the first thing I advise people to do, and most people say, "Wow, I never thought of that." is think about what you want in a doctor. Think about your own personality. You know, we're all very different, and there's some of us that want to be in the lead and take the lead in all parts of our lives, and some people that would rather have the doctor be stronger and and want to be guided more in their health. I never recommend letting a doctor sort of tell you what to do because they don't want to be in that position either. They're your advisor, but you do have to first focus on what is it that I'm looking for, and secondly, most importantly, realize that you have a choice and you you do have a pl- part in this. You do play a role in what you want. So many of us just say, well, this is who my insurance company sent me to. Or, you know what, this, this doctor had the best ad in the phone book, and that's who I picked out. And, you know, I, I often tell a story that I live in Florida, and I have a leaky roof, and I had to have a guy come in to fix my roof, and I was grilling him about, what are your references, what have you done before, you know, I need three quotes, and all of these things for my roof. And it really struck me as I was talking to him that, you know, most of us don't take that kind of diligence in finding a doctor. We don't ask them about their background. And even are they the right doctor for us clinically? Do they, if I have diabetes, do they treat a lot of diabetes patients so they're up on the latest technologies? If I have arthritis, do they know the latest arthritis medication? And these are things that as consumers, there haven't been a lot of resources for us to use. We've been afraid and embarrassed to kind of ask these questions. And so we're starting to see, I think, people take a little more, you know, be a little more proactive and take a little more charge in those areas so they can find the right match because it's such an important relationship in your life. It is. It is. But, you know, given the symptom that that has become so specialized, Taylor, I mean, how do you avoid that medical merry-go-round that if you, you know, if you have headaches, you get a referral here. If you have that, then you get a referral there. And all of a sudden, you're being treated as all these parts versus a whole. You're right. And I I am a firm believer, and I know we talk about this in Health Matters, but I know we do have a little bit of a crisis with less and less family physicians, but I am a firm believer in having a good general practice family doctor that can, I don't like to call it a gatekeeper because that sounds like they're keeping you from something, but more of a person that can guide you. You know, when people talk about do-it-yourself health, I don't agree with that. I think your doctor's a critical component, and when you look at the 9 out of 10 adults, say they don't feel comfortable, they don't have a level of health literacy that they're very comfortable with, you know, to ask somebody to figure out whether they go need to go to a neurologist or a hematologist or a neurosurgeon or, or you know, cardiac surgeon, that we don't, we haven't been educated in that way. And it's not that we're stupid, it's not that we can't figure it out, but that education has not been provided to us. So you need that, that resource, that great family doctor you feel comfortable with that you can say, 
you know, hey, I'm having these headaches or I have these symptoms. What specialist do I need? What do you think about this doctor? And, you know, I just saw a report last week that was really disturbing to me that, you know, they're talking about do we really need to have an annual checkup? You know, is that cost effective and do they find enough? And I thought, you know, listening to your introduction, that we have these conditions that we could save so much money for if we just made lifestyle changes. My goodness, we need to focus on prevention. We shouldn't even be asking the question, do we need an annual checkup? We should be asking, how do we get it up to twice a year or four times a year, short visits that we can talk about heart health and do you have diabetes and what's your eating and end. I don't think most of us suffer from overexposure to our doctors. (laughs) Taylor, hold that thought. We don't want to miss a minute. We'll pick it up when we return. Taylor uh, Grant joining us today, the book Health Matters on Healthy Talk Radio. Warning, Healthy Talk Radio presents revolutionary information that could cause facial tics and foaming at the mouth, but it's backed up by documented research and presented by credentialed guests. It may not represent the views of this network, this radio station, or its sponsors. But hey, it's not like they went to medical school. Taylor Grant joins us today. The book, Health Matters, Eight Steps, Eight Prescriptions That Can Save Your Life and Your Family's Health. She is behind a healthcare advocacy company, Taylor Your Health. Um, um, I know this is published uh, you know, by a major publisher, uh, Wiley, uh, which tells me that you can, can find the book online and at bookstores. But, but do you have a website, Taylor? I do, and it's tailoryourhealth.com, T-A-Y-L-O-R, like my name. And I encourage people to go there. To, you know, you can click right to the book. But also, you know, we've got all kinds of free resources to download, you know, going to the doctor checklist and evaluating your health plan, you know, form. So just lots of stuff, that tools that people can use to get them started taking charge of their health themselves. Good, good, because, you know, as you talk about in the book, the, these steps – uh, you know, lead us to, you know, really assessing where we are. You call them the seven vital signs. And, you know, with medicine, you know, really defining for us on the basis of just physical numbers, you know, what's your blood pressure, your blood cholesterol, your blood sugar <laughs> numbers. Give us an overview of your seven vital signs so so we can get on, on top of that, you know, j- just finding out where we stand, Taylor. Oh, and it is so important because, you know, I, I speak a lot to corporations and to businesses, you know, do seminars for their employees and health. And one of the fun things that I do, Deb, is I, I call it a, a speed round, and I run around and I ask people, what's your blood type? You know, what's your blood pressure? What's your cholesterol? These really kind of basic things. And I always ask people beforehand how many people here think they know a lot about their health. So it's always very illuminating to the audience members to find out, wow, you know, there are some basic things that I walk around and and don't know. And and as we were saying, you know, your blood pressure, this is such an important indicator, you know that, of your overall health. And so easy to take, you know. I mean, one of the big pieces of advice I give people is go buy one of those blood pressure cups. They're not very expensive, you know. And one of the, the kind of litmus tests you can use is if you walk into your doctor and your doctor says, Oh, you know, your blood pressure's up. You know, what are we going to do about this? And that's a surprise to you and you don't know. Then you're not doing everything you can. You know, you wouldn't drive your car around with the oil light on and just kind of say, well, I hope this thing doesn't run out of oil. And that's what your body does. We have these signs, things like our cholesterol. You know, your weight is another one. What an important indicator of 
you know, where your health is, and, and not necessarily people use it as kind of am I overweight, am I underweight, those kind of things, but really as a health assessment. And then getting down to things like your medications. Only 15% of people that go into emergency rooms can name all of their medications. You know, and emergency room doctors and paramedics say how frustrating it is that they'll have an emergency situation and, you know, they have to assume sort of that you're taking kind of everything because they don't know what people are taking. So that's basic information like that, your health history, your family health history. You know, what conditions, we're seeing so many genetic tests and things that are linked to our family health history, not only for yourself, but give your children that gift of knowing what their health history is so they know the things they can be working on Really, you know, just because you have heart disease in your family doesn't mean, you know, it's your destiny to get it. But it does mean at an early age you can start to take steps to avoid that. But, you know, h- how do we sort through just following the numbers, just these early detection tests, and, and really get to true prevention? Well, I think one of the things you need to do is we need to have a plan. You know, people say to me all the time, well, I have a health plan, you know, and I say that's not the same thing as planning for your health. We plan for our retirements. We plan in our jobs. We plan our everyday activities. But when it comes to your health, it's most of the time it's very kind of catch-as-catch-can. You know, I have this symptom or I happen to be in the emergency room. I mean, I can't tell you how many people say, you know, oh, I was at the doctor for one thing and they found this lump or they found this you know, thing on my skin and we worked through it. You know, in, in Health Matters, I actually lay out for people a healthy life plan. People ask me all the time, when, how do I know what to get when? You know, how do I know what screenings I should have and what ages I should have them? And I sort of outline it right there for you. And also, what's most important is give you a place to write down some goals for your 30s, your 40s, your 50s, whatever the decade is. And I'm talking about really simple goals. We're not saying you have to become obsessed with it. And it's, you know, of course, as I said, we'd all love to lose the extra weight we're carrying. But really to break it down into simple things that you can start working on every day because that's when your health happens. It happens every day. It's not going to be when you're 55 and 65 and you can't just worry about it then. You have to start worrying about it today. So to to you know get back to you know having a healthcare plan to developing um, lifestyle habit risk. I mean, there's you you know better than all of us, Taylor. I mean, there's so much conflicting diet information out there. You know, exercise is now being um, you know redefined as as actually good medicine. You know, walk us through assessing our lifestyle to determine, as you talk about in health matters, if we have lifestyle habit risk, Taylor. Absolutely, and you know there is on on TaylorHealth.com and in the book there is a health assessment that I find to be a really valuable tool because most assessments sort of take your risk factors and say, are you at risk for diabetes? Are you at risk for heart disease? And what you want to do, whether you do it in my book or you do it yourself, is you want to look at a little more broadly. You know, what lifestyle habits might I have, be it smoking, even things like do I wear a seatbelt and drive safely, you know, how are my eating habits, my exercise habits, do I use prescription drugs more than I should? I mean, really getting out into the open with your doctor about all of these lifestyle choices because what's funny is we do tend to focus on what's in the news that week and what we see and we rush and say, oh, I should have, you know, a mammogram or I should have this screening. When if you're not wearing your seatbelt every time you get in the car, you're really putting your health at a great risk. So really it's taking sort of a whole life look at 
where are my areas of risk and making it personal. Because, again, we see so much in the news and so much that deals with broad statistics that I like people to get it down to what are my health risks. Because often to keep you on track so you don't get, you know, you don't kind of react to the latest headline health, if you know, you know, my family has a history of diabetes or my family has a history of breast cancer, then you can focus in on those things that are doable for you and have your own personal health plan and come up with your own personal health goals. And what's really important here is that we have broad goals that we want to attack. As I said, you know, we want to make sure we're up on our breast cancer screenings and that we eat our fruits and veggies and that we're getting some exercise to cut our risk down, but also putting those into small terms, into things that we can do on a weekly and a daily basis. Because Again, a lot of it is very overwhelming and is very big. And I often call the book The Quick Start Guide to Your Health because I really tried to make it so you could sit down, you could read it for 15, 20 minutes, and you could walk away saying, wow, there's four or five things I can start doing right now. If it's things as small as cleaning out your medicine cabinet, eating an apple instead of some French fries, I mean, really small, doable things, because that's where you're going to see the biggest results. You know, saying on January 1st, well, I want to start an exercise program, and I'm going to, I'm going to go to the gym three times a week. I, I, I've i tried to do it. I wish people luck when they do it, but the reality is by January 15th, most of us are going, well, I didn't get there, but I, I swear I'll try next week, you know, where you find <laughs> if you say, you know, today I'm going to walk up the stairs instead of taking the escalator. That's really something you can do. There's immediacy to it, and you can start yourself on a trend. You know, okay, next week I'm going to try walking two flights of stairs, or the week after that, whatever works for you in your own personal situation. That's the important thing is to make it personal. So, you know, what you're talking about has also the, the modicum, and I, and I like that, Taylor, that it's more than just physical health. You know, what we what we think, emotional and spiritual health, is, is part of that as well. And, of course, those uh, that motivation is key here. So, so give us an overview about, you know, the ways that we sabotage our, our health. As, as you, you know, you spoke, we have all these great resolutions, all these great plans, <laughs> and then, like it or not, those gyms lots are empty by January 20th. They are. <laughs> Mine as well. I've had my own share of gym, gym memberships I don't use. And that is a part of it. You know, I, I love that you use that word sabotage because we do sabotage our own thoughts. You know, we think this is bigger than I can I can manage. You know, we also, there's a lot of negative messages in the media. You know, one of my pet peeves is the language we use to talk about health. The words we use, things like cancer sufferer or victim, arthritis sufferer, diabetic. You know, I was um, at the recent AARP convention in Boston, and I had the fortune to hear Senator Clinton speak. But, you know, it drove me crazy because three times in her speech she used the word diabetic. Well, to me, if you have diabetes, that's a health condition, and you need to learn how to manage it and learn about it so you can live a happy, healthy life. But it's not who you are. It doesn't define you. And too often, we do define people by their health conditions, whether it's a physical health condition, an emotional health condition, and we have to, number one, recognize, pay attention to those signals that we get and pay attention to our inner voice because when we start to hear those negative messages of I can't do it 
or this is too much for me, or I'm going to be overwhelmed by it. You want to try to spin that around and reframe it into a positive statement. You know, if you find yourself saying, well, I, I don't want to go to the doctor because I think that it's going to be a bad diagnosis, or he's going to tell me that I'm sick, you want to try to use some of the knowledge you have. And if you want to do some research and tell yourself, I'm going to go because most of the time it's going to be good news. They're going to tell me I have a clean bill of health. And that is reality. Most people walk out of the doctor with a clean bill of health. I mean, doctors always want to tell you a couple of things to improve so you got your money's worth, which is great. But for the most part, most of us walk out and they say, you know, you're in great health. I'll see you again next year, six months, whatever. And you want to try to switch those negative thoughts around into some positive thoughts, into what you can do. Now, the other thing, Deborah, to be really careful of is the sabotage you'll get from people around you. And I don't mean this in a negative way, but often without knowing it, our friends and family members, if we try to make a change to our health habits, you know, if you're the guy that goes out with your group Mm -hmm. and you are Mr. Party and you're always the first one to get to happy hour and the last one to leave and you come to meet your friends and you say, you know, I'm trying to cut back and I want to limit it, you know, I'm going to limit myself to two drinks tonight. That's a big change for them. You're changing their idea of who you are, of who they are, what they should be doing. And so there's a lot of subtle things that happen. You know, hey, Bob, come on. Don't you want to have another one? Don't you want to stay a little longer? Some of the strategies you can use when that happens is try to engage those people with you. Try to get them on your side. Tell them you want to make a change. You know, hey, I just went to the doctor, and he said I needed to work on my blood pressure, and one of the ways I'm going to do that, I'm going to try to limit myself to two beers a night. And when I get to two beers, can you stop me? Can you tell me, hey, hey, Bob, you know, you're on your second beer. Why don't we go get some pizza? Or why don't we go out to the tennis court and play a game? If you bring those people into what I call your circle of positivity and get them to be part of your positive change, you can get them on your side instead of the sabotage. You know, on a personal level, whenever I want to change my eating habits, you know, my husband is six feet tall. You know, he eats a lot more than I do. I'm five foot two, so I can't eat the number of calories, and I have to consciously tell him, you know, I can't go out and have a big lunch like you. I like to have salads, or for dessert, you know, instead of cheesecake, honey, we're going to have strawberries tonight, you know, and get him on my side. But I find when I do that, and I actively involve him in it, and I make him my coach and my team member, that it really does help. Another great one is your kids. If you want to make a change, I always laugh and tell people, if you want to give up potato chips, You tell your kids you want to give up potato chips, the minute they hear you crinkling that bag, they are on you saying, Mom, I thought you were going to stop eating potato chips. (laughs) Make them your ally. Use that little power they have. Now, speaking of uh, of children, you know, obviously our, our children ha- have you know a, a weighty prognosis. Um, Phil Landrigan from Mount Sinai School of Medicine, one in six children, uh, you know, defined to be learning or behavioral yeah. disabled. So, I mean, you talk about even medical mistakes that affect kids and how to avoid them. Tell us more. This is so important. You know, one of the little sayings I have when I give my seminar is we worry so much about the wealth we leave our children, but we don't worry as much about the health we leave them. And it is so important. It's it's a travesty that we're passing down these health conditions to children. I mean, four and five getting diabetes or having heart issues or arthritis. I mean, the dream for your children is to get them you know, to adulthood as strong and as educated and as powerful as you can get them so they can go off and meet all their dreams and, and, you know, have all their hopes. 
realized and when you saddled them with a health condition that they didn't necessarily have to have. It's really, you know, I, I, I so encourage parents to stop and think about this. And the best way to do it is to be a good example yourself, is to value your health, to talk to your children about your health. You know, we talk a lot about other things to children, but we don't often sit down and say, do you know why it's important to be healthy? Do you know why this matters? And talking about those medical mistakes, when your child has a medical condition, when they're getting care, you realize you are their primary advocate. You are the one to be there and protect them. And they often can't or don't know how to speak for themselves. So some of them that are so important is watch that medication children are taking. They're taking more medication than ever in this country, and we're seeing abuse of prescription and over-the-counter medications in younger and younger children. So make sure they understand when to take medication, they take it responsibly, and also that you know what they're taking and taking it safely because medication errors, and you know this, Deborah, in small children can be absolutely devastating to their bodies and to their system. Taylor, you know, hold that thought. We're going to pick it up when we turn. Taylor Crant joining us today. Health Matters, steps that can save your life and your family's health right here on Healthy Talk Radio. Check out Deborah Ray online, now with live audio streaming and audio archives of past shows, plus news stories, guest information, and the fast way to find books you've heard mentioned on the show, only at HealthyTalkRadio.com. Taylor Grant joining us today. She runs Taylor Your Health, a healthcare advocacy company, the book that brings her to us today entitled Health Matters, uh, the steps that can save your life, your family's health, and uh, uh, leaving all with us uh, that we can be healthy every day, these 52 weeks of health, because as uh, we all know, Taylor, it's going to happen unexpectedly (laughs) at the worst possible time. Talk with us about even making a travel health kit. Absolutely, you know, and uh, one of the funnier things that I've heard people say is, you know, I don't have time to be sick. And <laughs> exactly. I, I've used that one myself, and, and I think everyone who it's ever happened to knows that when it wants to happen, it doesn't ask you if you have time. <laughs> it, just, it just happens. So, yeah, the 52 weeks of health, I think it is my, because of my personality, it's my favorite chapter in the book because it's 52 Really just quick things you can do, things like learning CPR, you know, carrying an aspirin with you in case someone has a heart attack, you chew that aspirin and it can, you know, save a life because it gives the paramedics a little more time to get there. You know, wearing sunglasses. When you go outside, a lot of people don't think about this. I wear sunglasses 365 days a year because not only does it stop wrinkles, which, you know, being 44, I'm interested now in minimizing those wrinkles, but also protects the the skin around your eyes from skin cancer, protects your eyes from glaucoma as you get older. Really simple little things that I say if you take one and you do it once a week, at the end of the year you have 52 things that you did that made you healthier. And most of us, I think, would be ecstatic if we could say I did 52 things. Absolutely, absolutely. So uh, give us an overview of all the tools that they'll, that they'll find at your website, Taylor. Oh, there's there's so many. You know, there's a whole kids section of immunization schedules, uh, checklists for medication, um, all to, you know, things about how to get someone help. If you have a family member or a friend that you think needs help, resources for going out and getting that help, there's a great directory of health websites. Another thing people ask me about a lot is how do I know what's a good website and how do I know 
you know, something that's trying to scan me. So I give you a little directory to get started with from some really reputable websites that will get you out. And also you can sign up, and I encourage you to do this for a free five-minute clinic. It's right on the front page. And what we do is we send you a weekly email, and, and I swear they're not bothersome, but they're very quick, short health tips. Again, sort of like one and two sentences about medication safety, about kids' health, about um, this week we did kids in medicine, how to get your kids to take medicine. So really quick things, and people write to me and say they just love this because it's like once a week they get a little kind of reminder that, hey, here's something I can do for my health that will take me about five minutes and I can I can make some progress on it. So, yeah, go to tailoryourhealth.com, T-A-Y-L-O-R, yourhealth.com, and sign up for all of these free things because the most the thing I love about health is when stuff is free. So I try Taylor, to put a lot our, of free our stuff Thanks to have you join us today. Remember, it's the show archive for two weeks. I'm Deborah Ray reminding you to live long, stay healthy.